to the Tech Geek podcast on the ever-growing demand of artificial intelligence, cloud, and machine learning in digital transformation. I'm Sukriti Yadavanshi, your host for this session. The pandemic introduced us to an accelerated world of technology. Organizations opted for digital transformation, where technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and cloud computing played key roles. According to reports, investments in AI and machine learning are set to reach $232 billion by 2025. Job opportunities in AI and ML have jumped by almost 75% over the past half a decade and are looking to keep growing at 63% of enterprises expect a significant change in their organizational performance based on their AI investments and initiatives. To talk about how technology like AI, ML and cloud are enabling digital transformation across industries today, we are in a conversation with Srivatsa Subanna, Vice President, Data Tech from Maverick Systems. Srivatsa Subana is the Vice President at Maverick Data Tech based in India. He has 18 years of experience in management consulting, data analytics, and digital transformation. Currently, he is responsible for the advanced analytics practice at Maverick Data Tech. Welcome to the show, Srivatsa. Uh, thanks, thanks uh, Sukriti for uh, inviting me. I'm very excited to be here uh, on, on such a such a well-known podcast. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Shivatsa. Uh, I, you know, we'll, we'll just uh, start straight away. Start with the uh, questions that I have in for you. So, AI is one of the career options which will be in demand for decades, while ML is ranked amongst the top for tech jobs. The promise of speed, ease, and cost optimization, while simplifying complex processes and systems places artificial intelligence as one of the most significant digital transformation drivers. So what kind of opportunities do you see for businesses to invest in AI and ML in the coming years? And why? What career opportunities lie for talent in the industry? Sure, sure, Sukriti. Uh, so uh, I'll answer the first question first. Uh, in terms of uh, what opportunities do I see for businesses to invest in, right? So I'll break it up into two parts. Uh, one is uh, on their tech investments. So uh, one thing we have seen in the last few years uh, across industries is increased adoption of the cloud. So the cloud is uh, one place where there will be a lot of uh, investment across industries. Uh, the main reason is that cloud uh, helps uh, companies to leverage AI better. So when they need increased computing ability to run complex algorithms, they can get it pretty much on demand. So they can scale in terms of increasing, you know, the number of machines that they need or the amount of memory they need. So they can scale both vertically and uh, horizontally. The other thing that cloud has done is uh, there are a lot of tools available on the cloud to run AI algorithms. So what this means is that, uh, you know, people who are, who understand the business or are domain experts with some understanding of uh, analytics and modeling can actually run these algorithms now. So you don't need, you know, highly specialized data scientists because you can run more iterations. You can fine tune your algorithms. You can fine tune the models. So you don't need expert sort of data scientists, right? So that's that's one place where a lot of investment is going to happen. Uh, the second thing that will happen, and it's related to the cloud, is something that is called as AutoML or automated machine learning. Uh, so if you look at the entire AI kind of development lifecycle, 
there's one part about getting the data then there's running the model and then there's kind of getting the results and consuming it uh, what AutoML does is it combines the workflow and also the running of the models. So again, it reduces the need for expertise. Uh, the third thing, which is kind of an unfortunate byproduct with increased digitization, is that uh, cybersecurity becomes an area where businesses will invest when it comes to AI and ML because there'll be more fraud and you know risks that will come up as businesses go more and more online. So from the tech side, I think these are the three things. Uh, in terms of businesses, uh, I'll keep it short. So broadly, there, there are, I would say, three areas. One is improving the customer experience. Uh, so be it understanding how customers are using the apps or understanding where digital journeys are breaking and then sort of re-engineering the processes by looking at how the apps are being used. Uh, that's That's kind of one part of it. So how do you make customer experience better by using AI and ML. The second part uh, is marketing. So how do you reach out to your customers better? How do you target your customers better? Uh, you know, by using some of these advanced techniques. And in addition, uh, as I mentioned, so there is going to be more digitization, which will bring uh, more devices on the internet. So you will see more IoT. Uh, more operations happening digitally because of which more data will be generated and all of this data can then be used to make sure that you're reaching out to the customer in the right way and making the right offers uh, the third thing which is already happening and will kind of accelerate uh, is around digital assistants so right now digital assistants are only used you know as uh, as a help desk somewhere you know where you get answers to your faq but what will happen is as these evolve and become more advanced, they will actually be able to you know, integrate with some of the other things I mentioned, which is recommendation engines and so on, and actually guide uh, customers through end-to-end uh, -end sort of life cycle of a sale or a purchase, right? So th these are some of the things that uh, I see in terms of AI and ML where investments will kind of multiply in the coming years. Uh, now, in terms of, uh, I'll come to the second question in terms of uh, the career opportunities. So the traditional roles that exist today, which is you know things like data scientists, visualization experts, machine learning engineers, uh, business analysts, these will continue to exist. But what will happen is as things are driven more and more by algorithms, certain new roles will come up. Uh, so for instance, you would have heard of algorithmic bias, uh, ethical AI. Now, this in itself will create uh, some new roles, such as a data ethnographer, whose uh, primary role it is to kind of make sure that there are no inherent biases in the algorithm, or there is you know, no data, for instance, uh, race data being used to uh, give out loans, you know, or uh, denying loans to people who are living in, say, a particular neighborhood. Some of these biases can get built up into algorithms uh, almost subconsciously or unconsciously. Uh, so there is a lot of governance needed around the algorithms and the data that goes into algorithms. And I see a lot of new roles uh, coming around AI governance uh, and AI ethics uh, in, in the coming years. Okay, so that that was that was really insightful, uh, Shivatsa. And I have a very pertinent question to you know what you just spoke about uh, 
you know ai taking into place and how it you know it is it is actually revolving the entire digital space so what kind of evolution do you see happening in the human machine collaboration especially when it comes to the modern workplaces both on the front end and the back end right uh, so there was a survey done uh, sukriti where you know they found out that only about 10% companies managed to achieve significant financial benefits from ai right and what they found was uh, something very similar to what you asked which is that those 10% of companies work very differently than other organizations when it comes to learning with ai right so uh, either you have so you can have it in three ways right uh, in terms of ai systems one is ai systems kind of evolve on their own they you know uh, uncover newer patterns in data and based on that models get recalibrated and you kind of see better outputs you can have systems where ai learns from human beings or you could have systems where human beings learn from ai so i'll i'll come to uh, you know the different examples in each of these areas right so if you're looking at uh, human machine interaction you can almost classify it into four or five different levels at the lowest level is where all the intelligence comes from the human being and the human being uses the machine so for example if you are using a you know microsoft word or making a powerpoint the tool exists but every single input that goes into creating a document or powerpoint comes from you your intelligence at the other end what extreme what you have is machines do everything end to end uh, and human being probably just looks at it or you know reconciles reconciles it periodically right and in between is where you have options where human beings and machines combine to give results uh, so for instance uh, there is there's some preparatory work that is done so i i can take the example of uh, robo advisors or investment advisory where you know there is some preparatory work which is done by a wealth manager or a investment advisor in terms of asking questions to customers what kind of investments they are looking for and so on but machines take over from you know uh, data from all of those interactions customers risk profile and so on and they come up with a recommendation saying that this person you know fits into this risk profile and therefore this is the advice and then the wealth manager then uses his or her experience and then sort of ties the knot together and that's where human beings and machines work together uh there could be the other extreme where most of the work is done by machines and human beings just check so for instance creating an insurance quote right where the model and everything runs in the background and you have an insurance advisor who looks at it and thinks yeah, it kind of makes sense uh so what uh, organizations can do is make sure that human beings and machines learn from each other so whenever a human being is making a, de- a decision to kind of supersede what a machine has recommended then that is something that is an input to uh, to the machine to improve you know the model and so on likewise where there, there could be a situation where the machine is used as a sort of second pair of eyes to validate whether whatever the human being has done is right or not right uh so 
what i see is that uh, the extremes uh, as well which is where things are completely manual and completely automated that will kind of stay where it is but the other three levels which i mentioned which is uh, you know human beings working with machines and then machines working with human beings i think that's where the machines output can take it to a certain level and beyond that human being adds their intelligence so what you will actually see is uh, better uh, outcomes if you are a customer right because you have the algorithm making a recommendation and you also have the human intelligence coming in so as i mentioned on the front end it could be examples like investment advisory where uh, someone who is dealing with customers directly like a wealth manager can actually make better recommendations and it could result in better uh, outcomes likewise at the back end something on the operation side which is uh, done say completely in an automated fashion and a human being checks it or adds some more controls to it which can then be incorporated into a system so that's where again you see the performance go up so i think that's how the entire system will be evolved it will not be human being versus machine or human being or machines what we will see is that it will be human being plus ma machines resulting in better outcomes okay so you know a lot of things have changed uh, during this pandemic era uh, be it the organizational structure or the workforce so looking at the current scenario which top skills will be crucial to make the ai workforce revolution an impactful one right uh, so uh, i briefly spoke about you know the roles that exist today uh, in in data science right uh, again the roles will depend on the maturity of the organization uh, one thing you see is that organizations get in data scientists and then expect miracles but what you find is their data infrastructure is not up to the mark which means that data scientists spend a lot of time just trying to clean data and get data which makes sense right so uh, the roles that will thrive in any organization will kind of depend on the uh, data maturity of the organization so what kind of governance they have with respect to the data uh, how how good their data infrastructure is uh, how well their data infrastructure is linked with their uh, processing systems or transaction systems right because at the end of the day uh, what happens is any model or any algorithm makes a recommendation and that recommendation has to be acted upon in another system so even if i for instance i'm you know a model recommends to me that this person is probably a better candidate for a particular credit card someone still has to call that person you know enter all those details in a crm then follow up on the lead close the lead acquire the customer right uh, so uh, in in terms of what roles will work it's going to be a function of how evolved the data organization is the second thing is uh, how clear the organization is in terms of its data strategy uh, so today you might want to solve a particular problem but you don't have the data for it 
what's your strategy going ahead to acquire that data to make sure that this problem can be solved say a year from now right so that roadmap in terms of data strategy which has to be tightly tied to business imperatives uh, and based on that the kind of roles will evolve so in an organization where you know you don't have a lot of data and the data organization is not very evolved you might find that more descriptive analytics or dashboards will do the work because that's all the kind of data you have but in more advanced organizations where you can actually integrate models into production with processing systems you will find that you will have more of ai ml engineers those kind of roles actually come in okay so uh, talking about data science only i would want to understand where should organizations begin to rethink their data science talent needs right so the uh, as i said the, the first thing that the organization should do is uh, assess what their requirements are right what is it they are looking for in terms of their business strategy so you are at a particular state today and you have to do it literally function by function so today if i am looking at say marketing uh, in a bank how am i targeting customers today and what's my ideal stage right and in between that there is a journey and in each of these stages so my ideal stage is where i have an algorithm which automatically periodically detects who my target customers are and based on that it kind of sends emails automatically uh, and you know it recalibrates automatically and so on but you don't get there from the start uh, where uh, you are at a very rudimentary stage where you are pretty much calling every customer and asking them if they need a credit card right so you have to lay out that entire journey how you are going to progress from point a to point b and what are the intermediate outcomes you are looking for and to achieve each of those intermediate outcomes what is the data that you need what then is the skill set that you need to ensure that you are achieving those outcomes right uh, so for instance you could start off with just a data scientist and someone who does data visualization but as you progress on that journey and you find that your data infrastructure is in place you have good data governance you can actually then train someone who is you know say more of a business expert on some of the automated machine learning tools because you have the data in place they can experiment with those and then uh, use it to come up with better recommendations uh, so that's that's how you see it uh, evolving so you know as far as i understand this it's it's very important for organizations to have a structure in place which which records the the smallest detail of uh, laying out uh, your your strategies and your uh, execution plan right in terms of uh, you know hiring anyone from the yeah. data science background right right so, moving uh, on to the next one yes yes please no no i i see you you've got it right in the sense that uh, uh you have to understand what you want to achieve as a business understand where you are from a tech perspective and then look to uh you know hire people 
A who can give you instant results uh, because at the end of the day, you need to show immediate results. Otherwise, folks from business lose interest in working with data scientists. And then you need to plan that roadmap to get to a stage where you will need newer skills and then you will probably be doing things better. So the organizational, you know, the hiring strategy, the data strategy and the business strategy, all of them have to be in sync. Right, right. Uh, so tell me, Shivatsa, is a non-standard data science task as opposed to a standard predictive task such as classification or regression more in demand than others in the BFSI industry? Uh, so I would I would say yes and no. Uh, again, it's a it's a function of data maturity, but banks generally have a good sense of data, uh, good degree of data maturity, right? Uh, but what is happening is there are some of the tech changes that are also happening, as I mentioned. So banks are also looking to move to the cloud, right? So they are looking at using cloud to run sort of bigger workloads um, and they need someone to set that entire data infrastructure up on the cloud. So something like data engineering becomes very important, right? Likewise, uh, as I said, because banks are more mature, uh, once they get to that stage, they will also try to make sure that all of these models are running on, on production. So instead of more sort of skills in terms of building classification or regression models, what becomes important is the role of someone like a machine learning engineer uh, who can quickly take those models and deploy them uh, in production, you know, who can kind of stitch the data pipelines together, feed it into the model and run it on the cloud. The other role that becomes important is something that is called as machine learning ops someone who can make sure that you know the model is deployed in production right uh, it's working fine there are no errors now these are tasks typically data scientists don't like or don't enjoy doing right data scientists are more of problem solvers you give them a business problem to solve they will explore the data they'll spend days exploring the data uncover insights build a model and give it to you they're not really that keen on maintaining it right uh, so these other roles will kind of pick up over time while the demand for data scientists will also be there as you move more on the cloud, there'll be more of uh, tech and data engineering roles that will become as critical as that of the data scientist. Right, right. So uh, any which ways I've, what we have seen in the market is that the demand for data scientists has, has grown past couple of years a lot. And uh, a lot of organizations started looking for them. And uh, this is not just in the tech industry, but uh, across different verticals, right? Yeah, yeah. So while the demand for data scientists has grown a lot, and I agree, the demand for uh, data engineers and machine learning engineers has grown at a faster pace uh, oh. in, in the last couple of years. Right, right. So, you know, looking at those, we've spoken about, uh, you know, business problems and business strategies and other parts that any organization needs to take care of and, uh, you know, strategize accordingly, Shivatsa. Tell me, will we need to use a rich and complex data to solve the business problems in the BFSI sector? Uh, I think the answer to that is partly yes. Uh, 
uh, in the sense that see rich and complex data uh, you have to understand that the banking financial services and insurance industries are almost the pioneers when it comes to data science right so when you, you i mean you have you can go back like 40 50 years when uh, the first credit scoring model was built probably longer than that right and credit card applications were no longer kind of uh, monitored by hand by people looking at they were just run through a scoring engine and based on the score credit cards mortgages etc were given uh, so the industry as such has a long history of using uh, data science and analytics what uh, additional rich and complex data uh, be it you know customer interactions or uh, the interactions of the example i gave the interaction between an investment advisor and a customer uh, all of that is additional information which is not captured anywhere but what it can do is it can add significantly to decision making so uh, with you know the newer algorithms be it speech to text natural language processing what all of these do is they help structure what traditionally has been unstructured data and what they can do is in addition to all the information that you already have about a customer be it you know his or her transaction history his or her demographic information all of which you already have this adds to that data and actually uh, from my experience and also the experience of a few of the customers i have worked with this actually improves the quality of recommendations that comes out so while in isolation they may not be used to solve business problems but combined with other data they will definitely uh, help improve the outcomes so i'll just briefly take you know the example of another a company which was based out of singapore called lendo uh, one of the things that they found was uh, the battery percent percentage left of a customer was a very good indicator of likelihood of default so they actually used that as an input which is you know completely non traditional data no one would even think of it but you know you are running an app on a mobile you can actually get that information from android or ios what the battery percentage is and they would take kind of an average of that and then use that uh, as one of the inputs to decide whether to give someone a loan or not and their again their outcomes were pretty impressive uh, so so that's why uh, you know using some of the ml algorithms uh, with additional rich data be it uh, you know uh, customer interactions call recordings or as i mentioned battery percentage all of this actually helps improve the models great insights shivasta thank you so much additionally i would want to know that you know if if i want to quantify and uh, statistically talk how much uh, you know has the bfsi industry already shifted to cloud and you know what is the progress that we are seeing so in in terms of moving to the cloud uh, one of the main hindrances there are two main hindrances right why uh, banks have been slow to shift to the cloud uh, one is they hold a lot of uh, customer personal information which they don't want uh, you know outside the premises the second thing is a lot of it is driven by regulation so regulation has historically discouraged banks from moving to the cloud 
what we are seeing now is that regulators are understanding that cloud is as secure as uh, on-premise sort of uh, data infrastructure. So we are seeing some customers who are moving, uh, you know, non-customer data to the cloud. But what a lot of uh, NBFCs in India and even banks have been doing is they're using cloud as a source for computation. So in the sense, all the data resides within the bank's premises. But what they do is if they want to run a particular model, they strip out all the data that identifies a customer and sends that entire data set to the cloud. And that and on cloud, they can obviously purchase, you know, higher capacity for a shorter duration of time. So they compute it there and get the results back. So it started that way, but I think what will happen over time is that leaving, you know, all customer data outside, all the major computation will move to the cloud. At this stage, uh, I would say the top banks are probably just starting off globally in terms of their move to the cloud. So they've signed sort of partnerships, uh, be it with uh, Microsoft or uh, Amazon mostly. Uh, in some countries, what is happening is the governments themselves are encouraging industries to move on the cloud. So UK is a good example where they've almost gone ahead and recommended Microsoft Azure as their cloud partner of choice. And now banks are slowly sort of moving towards that. Very early. So we might be at maybe five or 10% right now, but uh, I think you'll see this journey accelerate in the coming years. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next four to five years, all the major banks have run their data infrastructure uh, off the cloud. Right, right. Thank you so much, uh, Srivatsa. It was a great experience to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing these insights with us. And uh, I'm sure your cognition is going to help a lot of people who are going to listen to our podcast and be helpful in terms of uh, acquiring new skills or maybe knowing the market trends. It was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being here, Shavad, sir. Thanks. Thanks, Sukritya. I really uh, enjoyed being a part of this podcast. Uh, thanks for some very, very good questions. Uh, thanks a lot. Absolute delight. Thank you so much.